Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider presented by the Dallas Morning News. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by Evan Grant. Hello, Evan. Good morning, Kevin. Evan's in Seattle uh, preparing for that uh, uh, Mariner series with, uh, with the Rangers. Uh, and our old pal David Moore is on his way back from the, the Meadowlands. I think he's still out there wandering around the stadium. Uh, I, I've actually had to walk out of that stadium. I could not get an Uber driver to come into the stadium. I had to walk out, walk across the freeway. Uh, well, not the freeway, but the overpass over the freeway to get an Uber driver to pick me up on the other side. How about that? Yeah, that's uh, that's dangerous territory over there, Kevin. Yeah, it's not. it was not a good thing. It was not a good thing. One of those things that my wife... Debbie tells me, why do you do stuff like this? Why do you get yourself in these kind of situations? And I said, it's just it's part of the adventurer in me. That's what it is. Well, or, the, I, uh, or the idiot, one of the two. My um, my experience yesterday was to uh, get to uh, arrive at SeaTac Airport. And when you get here now, like you can, you go down uh, to where the uh, Uber drivers are. But to get to the Uber drivers, you pass the actual taxi stand. Okay. Yeah. And there's always taxis there. And so there's no wait, right? Yeah. So I said to myself, well, why don't I just do this? I'll get in a cab. I won't have to wait. I can get to the hotel. Cause I had a big assignment last night and we'll get to that. You know, I had to watch the Manning cast and do the, the Manning play by play. So I get in the cab. Immediately, it had the Seinfeld episode body odor issue. <laughs> and the driver wanted to speak to me. And I, I listen, I just don't like people. I, I don't know how to say it other than that. I, I just want to sit in my cab, get to my hotel, and go up to my room. Um, find the nearest spot where I can buy a Diet Coke and be happy. But the cab driver wanted to talk to me the whole way there. He wanted to tell me how he had nearly bought 100 acres 40 years ago in eastern Washington. But he his wife got a ticket, and then they decided not to move. Um, wanted to know what I did. And I my old the old go-to when I just don't want to talk to anybody is I just say, I'm in sales. <laughs> well, you are. You're selling newspapers. All right. Well, that's enough of your uh, taxi adventures, Evan. Thank you very much. Uh, we all have them. Uh, so we're, we're moving on now. Uh, the Cowboys had a big win last night uh, over the Giants uh, in the Meadowlands. Um, I, I'm not surprised that the Cowboys won that game. I don't believe in the Giants. Um, you know, I don't believe in Daniel Jones. I don't believe in the offensive line in front of Daniel Jones, uh, mostly. Uh, Saquon Barkley is somebody you can believe in, and he, he did have a nice game uh, Monday night. Uh, came up big on a touchdown run late to put the, the Giants up for the first time in the game. Um, and that's about it. Uh, the Giants are just not very good. They they got no pressure on Cooper Rush uh, in that game, no sacks. Uh, I, I don't believe, I haven't looked at the – official statistics i don't believe they even pressured him uh in that game basically they they rolled him out to get him out of trouble uh and they did a nice job he did get a little pressure in his face a couple of times i guess uh, now that i think back about it but uh for the most part this is what you get with a quarterback who has no pressure 
whereas Daniel Jones, I believe, had 21 quarterback pressures in that game, which was a career high for him. He was sacked uh, five times, sacked or six times, sacked three times by Demarcus Lawrence alone. Uh, all of these guys benefiting from the fact of uh, the double team on Micah Parsons. But uh, that's not to, to denigrate the, uh, the the improvement across the front of the Cowboys' defense. They have really uh, done a, a good job stockpiling some talent there in the in the uh, in the draft. <clears throat> One of the things that uh, they talked about on the broadcast was the that seventy one percent of the Cowboys' roster, fifty three man roster, uh, is uh, built from the, the draft which is the highest percentage in the NFL. So kudos to Will McClay for that, putting together that kind of uh, talent. And then that's certainly what the Cowboys have tried to do is, uh, is build from within. And I think sometimes to their detriment, and we have talked about that, how they let several uh, free agents go in this offseason. Uh, I still think they probably miss Amari Cooper. Didn't think that was a bad idea because of the money he was making, but he's had some – Pretty good games for the Browns, back-to-back weeks of 100 yards in the receptions. Uh, That required CeeDee Lamb to step up. And in that game last night, as my oldest son messaged me in the second half after CeeDee had a terrible first half in which he dropped a ball that may not have been a touchdown, but certainly would have been a long game and set up one, uh, and just looked basically in the first half like he has throughout uh, the season so far, which is not very good, uh, especially for a guy who was a, uh, a high first-round pick and was counted on to be their number one receiver. And then in the second half, he was phenomenal. Uh, on the touchdown drive where he made the one-handed catch, that may not even have been the best catch of the drive for him. He made another one where uh, on a fourth down play that uh, where the Cowboys went for it at the, the Giants 40, uh, he made a catch and just got blown up on, on the reception and still held on to the ball. Uh, and then he also made another good catch and a hard, tough run to get down to the one-yard line, setting up that one-headed catch in the corner from Cooper Rush. So, uh, as Jake uh, uh, texted me at one point, it was a tale of two CDs. Oh, I like that. It was good. That was our and – I, and, I, and I sent that to our desk, and that was the main headline in the sports section. I like that. How about that? I told Jake, Jake texted back and said, I finally proven I am Kevin Sherrington's son. I said, Oh uh, yeah, come on. It was pretty good. I, um, you know, the, on the Manning cast, they had, uh, they had started the whole broadcast raving about Micah Parsons, just raving about him and with, with good reason. Right. And they, Jimmy Johnson came on and talked about why the, the, the giants needed to have some double, get some double M. Um, but they very quickly veered off of Micah and CD became a big issue in the first half, obviously with those two drops, the the one drop, the back-to-back drops in the first half that were bad. I thought even on the tip ball and in the second half, he redeemed himself. And so, uh, I, uh, I said that the, uh, the Manning cast had come in for a lion, the Nittany lion and went out liking lamb. Oh, 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 oh. Look at you! You're so clever. Uh, yeah. Well, that was a take the nod there. Certainly, certainly, the game uh, uh, turned uh, in the second half. Uh, the Cowboys. I, I really never felt like after watching the first half. I really never felt like the Cowboys weren't going to win that game. 
uh, I just felt like that the, the defense is just playing so well. Uh, and really, it, if you if the and I don't, I don't want to be one of these people complaining about the refs. I hate to complain about the refs. But Noah Brown, down there, down there close to the goal line, Noah Brown goes up and he's going to run an out. And he basically gets tackled and there's no call. Uh, and that was the ball that uh, that Cooper uh, threw into the uh, left corner end zone. There was nobody there. It's like, who is he throwing this ball to? Well, you see the replay, and you see that it, that uh, Noah's been tackled on that play, and there's no flag. Uh, later in the game. There was, there was there was a ball that Jones threw to Shepard that was clearly a catch, and he turned up field, and, and the Cowboys did a great job of stripping the ball, and it was ruled no catch on the field, and it and, and never was even reviewed. I, I, I thought that was a bad call, too. Um, oh, there was several, but you know, several bad calls. You know, there was the the bad call at the, you know, you could say that, that certainly where Shepard was called for uh, uh, offensive pass interference, where he's just running and uh, 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 Trayvon Diggs just plows into him. They just uh, that, collided into one another. There wasn't. Yeah, there was. It was not a case of him trying to block uh, Trayvon Diggs at that point. Yeah, he just, know, yeah, they weren't trying to. Nobody was trying to impede the other. They just collided. Yeah, and so there was just multiple instances in that game last night where refs just missed wide open calls. I don't, I don't understand it. There was another play late in the game. And that's what I thought it was a little crazy when the Cowboys kicked the field goal down there late, and it's fourth and one, and you're trying to run the clock down. And why you don't just give the ball to Zeke and let him run for the first down? And if he doesn't get it, then you just kick the field goal from there. And they're and they're running a pass play. It's just classic Cowboys. Now Noah Brown was. Once again, practically hogtied there at the line of scrimmage, and there's no call. How that happens, I don't know. These, that's what these. It's not like there's two refs running this whole thing, and they just don't see everything. There's refs all over the field. How are you not seeing these things? That has to be one of the most poorly officiated games I've seen in a long time. Uh, for both ways, I thought that there were multiple calls that were bad calls in that game. So, you know, it's, it's certainly possible if Noah Brown is not tackled in the end zone and that's a touchdown and that's you know uh at one point if, if cd catches that ball that that's probably a touchdown the cowboys could have won this game with 27 or 30 points uh and and that's a lot of points for cooper rush to be putting up so let's kind of talk about that for a minute just to get the foolishness out of the way uh i, I know i'm going to start i've already was getting emails last night from uh, readers and fans saying that well why don't they just stick with cooper rush and let dak prescott just sit out and okay, that's fine if you want to say that. Uh, but also know that if you are ready to get rid of Dak Prescott, the cap, the dead cap hit is going to be immense uh, for that. You don't just get rid of the quarterback and say, I don't want to pay him anymore. This is going to cost you a lot of money and you're not going to be able to build your roster because of that. Uh, and let's, let's remember this. Any quarterback, any NFL quarterback, if you put him back there, and he is getting no pressure. There are no sacks and no hits, and there's just a little bit of quarterback pressure in a game. He's gonna he's gonna complete passes. Things are gonna happen. It's gonna be a good sign for you. That's what that's what happened in that game for Cooper Rush. I, I don't want to say he's not doing a good job. He is. I thought that Troy Eggman put it very well when he said he's doing a nice job. He didn't say he was doing a great job. He didn't say, oh my gosh, this guy's a revelation. This is gonna be great. We're going to look at the fact that Cooper is now three and zero as a starter, and all I need to say to that is, so was Jason Garrett. 
love you somebody like fans love the backup quarterback. I mean, it's it's just the ongoing. It's it's an ongoing issue and always has been, always will be. Um, the bottom line here is, listen, what Cowboy fans should be focused on is they won a game with defense in in Cincinnati, and then they beat a a, a Giants team that really, as you just mentioned doesn't really do anything particularly well. They have a good running back, and that's about it at this point. Um, And so what they are doing is they are weathering the storm. And I think you and David and I all predicted that this team would be one and four at best, uh, one and four or two and three at best heading into Philadelphia, correct? Yeah. They've got a chance. They've got a realistic chance to go into that game uh, with a winning record. And so – my perspective on this is Cooper Rush has done a great job of doing what a backup quarterback is supposed to do. Give you a chance to win games when your starter is out. The only thing I would do here if I were the Cowboys is make absolutely sure. I think the luxury that Cooper has given you here is make, it gives you the ability to make absolutely sure that Dak is not rushing back off of that thumb injury because the last thing you need is for that to become an issue all season. Then it's a much bigger deal. If you can get by one extra game without him, maybe you do that. But you don't You don't entertain the idea. And I know Jerry was just trying to stir things up last week when he was like, oh, wait, maybe we do need a quarterback controversy. It's just not realistic, man. It's, it's just not how it's going it's, to – it's not how it's going to work. It's like Ranger fans – emailing me and, and suggesting, well, let's move Seager to first base and yeah. to short and young to right field. Now that's, that's just not going to happen. So let's, let's, let's not deal in fantasy. <clears throat> no, it's not going to happen. Uh, and, I, and I don't, once again, listen, Cooper did a really a nice job. What he does is that, you know, he gets them in and out of things. And sometimes too, boy, you're watching the clock tick down. It's like snap the freaking ball, man. But he is trying to get them in the right off. You can hear him uh, calling audibles, you know, at, at points in the game and getting them in, into the right place, and that's invaluable. He's he's doing he's doing more than driving the bus. That game last night, you know, he's seventeen points there in the, in the second half. He he did a nice, a really nice job. But w- the one thing I want to see the Cowboys do is not to to, to uh, you know. Think of the silliness of uh, well, we'll go with Cooper Rush instead of Dak Prescott. I want to see them run this offense with Dak Prescott. Right. I want to see them run an offense where they are going to be more balanced and they are going to run the ball and they and they are going to do these kind of things and allow Dak to to be a successful quarterback when he's throwing the ball forty five and fifty times. Uh, he has been able to do that, and there have been times when he's been very good at it. He's just not really good at it all the time, and I don't think that's a winning formula especially now that this defense is so good. What they need to do is rely on this defense uh, to keep playing the way it is. I think this defense is getting better and better. Uh, I, I, it's, it's more – last year they relied heavily on turnovers. Now they're not really getting the turnovers this year that they got last year, but it doesn't matter. Uh, they're playing so well. They're getting so much pressure on the quarterback. They don't need to have the turnovers. They don't need to generate those. And they're, and they're doing a much better job at stopping the running game. Saquon Barkley did have that long run. He did have a big second half. But in the first half, he was kind of a non-factor. So I think there are things that the Cowboys can learn from these games, and I think that's exactly what they need to do going forward. Listen, Kevin, I I feel like in in large respects, the Cowboys have 
a recipe here that could be really, really dangerous to the rest of the league when Dak gets back. If if they do come out and they are aggressive, and it, and that it, that can take whatever form you want to you want to say, but you've got to, you've got the ability with Dak for him to be mobile and for him to create some things. But if they've got a balanced offense and they allow Dak to be the best he can be, and you can score some points early. That defense is so good that once you force teams into basically being a passing team, you know, now you've got this pass rush that you can just unleash on people. And you can beat some people down early and have and not have to win games in the final two minutes. What do you think Carson Wentz was thinking watching that game? Uh, because I, I'm going to tell you something. Against the Eagles the other day, I watched that game uh, as much as, as I could stomach. It is It is amazing to watch – Carson Wentz go from a quarterback that was MVP material and and people loved and thought this is this is going to be a guy who's going to dominate the league in years to come to what he is today uh, and uh, the, the Eagles just just hunted him down the entire game he looks so flustered now uh, and, and as I talked about before when you get pressure on a quarterback that's how you can tell how good a quarterback really is does he get rid of the ball? Does he have poise in the pocket? Does he does he still deliver the ball when he has to? Daniel Jones did that several times last night. I, I will say I thought Daniel Jones played pretty well, all things considered, in that game. Um, but Carson Wentz is just a shell of the guy that they thought he was going to be when he when the Eagles drafted him. Um, and I can't imagine that that he has good feelings about thinking the Cowboys they're going to come to to uh, Arlington this Sunday and play the Cowboys uh, with that pass rush. I just, that, that is just a, uh, a non-starter for, for Washington. I would be shocked if that game is even close uh, because the Cowboys are playing better and because Washington is really bad. Now the Eagles are another matter entirely. Uh, they are playing much better. Jalen Hurts is playing much better. I've not had much faith in him as an NFL quarterback. Um, I think he makes, uh, he was not great at reading defenses and getting himself into uh, his progression and, and picking up his second and third receivers. He has done a much better job of that this year. And of course, he presents a, a tremendous uh, uh, running threat. Uh, and he's also a great leader. Uh, that is probably, and we've made that case about Dak Prescott many times about what kind of leader he is. Certainly, Jalen Hurts is that. Uh, and a, a quarterback to be feared from that standpoint but the Eagles made several uh, really good acquisitions over the offseason. Devontae Smith is this year starting to play like the player that I thought he was going to be uh, after winning the Heisman Trophy at Alabama and coming into the league. Uh, he's very fast, very acrobatic. Uh, they are a real force. I, I, I think that the Eagles might be one of the two or three best teams in the NFC. So, uh, a more, but yeah, I, I, they've played really well the first three weeks. They have. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see what they do uh, going forward. Uh, I think the Cowboys are going to have a hard time winning uh, the NFC East this year. They've always had a hard time, uh, anybody has, uh, winning the NFC East back-to-back seasons. So we'll see what they can do going forward. But uh, yeah, I would just say the, the, the NFC race, right? The NFC East race, Kevin. It comes exactly. down to, is this Cowboys defense good enough to trump what Jalen Hurts and the, and the Eagles are running out there offensively. They might be. Uh, I mean, in, as I said in that game last night, there you know Trayvon Diggs had a couple of times where he had he could have had two more interceptions in that game, and usually does come up with those balls uh, because he does have such good hands at being a former wide receiver. Uh, there were 
there was an opportunity there last night for them to do even more than that because you know they they let Daniel Jones get away several times in that game. I had clear shots at him and and missed. So I I think that uh, this Cowboys defense is really on its way now to becoming uh, uh, certainly a top five defense in the league. No question in my mind about that. All right, that's going to do it for our Cowboys segment of the podcast. We're going to move over now and talk about the Rangers. Uh, Evan is out there in Seattle watching them. Uh, Evan, those Mariners, uh, you know, it's I'm, I'm old enough to remember when the, the Mariners used to torment the Rangers uh, when they were, were producing players the likes of Ken Griffey and Alex Rodriguez, and they had uh, Edgar Martinez, and those were great Mariners teams. And then they just kind of, fell off the face of the earth and, and we didn't see the Mariners be very competitive for a long time. They, uh, a lot of prognosticators try every season, uh, going into the season and saying that this is going to be the Mariners year. And my feeling has always been, I'll wait until they actually win before I try to do that as well. But now they feel like they've arrived. Well, the, uh, I kind of felt the same way. I'll, I'll buy the Mariners when the Mariners offer me something worth worth taking. But you look at this team right now, and they've got a really good starting rotation that features, yeah, the 2021 AL Cy Young winner in Robbie Ray and a great trade acquisition in Luis Castillo, who the Rangers wanted and who's now extended for the, for the next five years here, plus two homegrown talents in Logan Gilbert and George Kirby, both first-round picks in 2018 and 2019. And this rotation is going to be here and be good for a while. Now you add to that, you add a core of players that starts with a true franchise player like Julio Rodriguez, who is now signed for 12 more years, um, and, and a good hitter like Ty France, and some and some good other pieces like J.P. Crawford. This is, this is a team that I think is going to be quite good for a while and we can sit here and debate when exactly the age, the Astros will age out of their window of competition of contention. But for the time being, the Rangers have to contend with the idea that they've got two teams to jump over in the American league West. If they, if they intend to win this division. Yeah. I don't think there's any question about that. I think that, uh, we'll see what the Angels end up doing. They're so crazy. Artie Marino's trying to sell that team. Uh, I'm I'm just going to drop this here. Uh, our old pal Bobby Valentine. I was talking to him at that uh, uh, that little farewell ceremonies for Tom Green, which was, by the way, a, a, a tremendous uh, uh, party. It was really good. Evan had to leave early. Uh, I stayed for it. Uh, they did a great job. Uh, the speakers were all uh, very. Moving and very good, um, and and Tom himself did a great job. So, and hats off to Tom Grieve. As, as I told him uh, during the reception, I said, you know, you were a, a pretty good player, a very good general manager, and an excellent broadcaster. So you got better as you went along, and that's hard to do. Yeah, he's uh, better human than he is at all of it. So. And I said that. That was the fourth thing I said, and when I wrote it, uh, I said, and he was a he's a better human being even than all of that. Uh, and that's, that gets said a lot about people, but that's really true with Tom Green. It's Tom Schieffer had a, uh, um, uh, a bit that was uh, recorded. Uh, but at one point he just said, who doesn't like Tom Green? Uh, nobody who knows him, uh, that doesn't like him. There's no I, question I, about that. 
I talked to a number of people for our Tom Grieve tribute that will run before his last games on air. And literally everybody that I talked to ended it with, have you ever talked to anybody who doesn't like Tom Grieve? Yeah. Uh, there's no question about that. He's an ace. Uh, so I'm talking to Bobby Valentine who came and of course, and that was a funny thing about Bobby. I was, I was the backup Rangers writer slash national baseball writer slash baseball feature writer, uh, when, uh, Bobby was the manager and, and, uh, I can remember in spring training, uh, Bobby would be sitting at his desk in his office and Tom would walk in and there was a big metal cooler sitting next to, uh, Bobby's desk. And Tom would go up and sit on top of it and kind of pull his legs up in front of him like a little kid uh, sitting around a, a fireplace listening to somebody tell great stories. And I, I thought to myself even then, it's kind of hard to tell who's the boss here. Is it Tom or is it Bobby? Uh, but they had a great relationship. Uh, as Bobby said on the, on the broadcast the other day, uh, when Tom had to fire Bobby, which had to happen uh, eventually, uh, he asked him, do you want me to go with you? Uh, and Bobby says, no, I don't want you to go with me. I want you to stay here and be the general manager of the Rangers. But it sounds exactly like something that Tom would do. So anyway, I'm talking to Bobby, uh, and he said that uh, he's trying to get a group together to buy the Angels. How about that? Bobby Valentine trying to get a group together to buy the Angels, which, you know, uh, why not? Uh, other people have done that kind of thing. Uh, so that would be interesting if uh, that could happen. Uh, we'll, we'll see. But you know the, the Angels are a, a, are a travesty. You know they, they're they're wasting the two most interesting talents in baseball. Uh, well, certainly two of three. I'm not going to leave Aaron Judge out of that. Uh, but Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. They're just wasting it. It's just unbelievable. I, I and they're, they're going to have to make a decision about what they're going to do about with Otani. Are they going to try to keep him? They're going to try to extend him, which is you know what they should do. But I don't think he wants to stay there. Not not in the current state of the Angels. And uh, so they have to they have to consider trading him this offseason. Uh, but there's going to be a lot of things they have to consider in this offseason. So that's all a, a roundabout way of talking about what the Rangers are, are going to need to do. And uh, as you pointed out, and as I missed on my travels this weekend, Dane Dunning had uh, labrum surgery on his hip over the weekend, is now uh, in danger of not being ready for the opening of next season. Uh I can't say that Dane Dunning had earned himself a spot in the rotation for going into next year anyway over the job that he did uh, this season. It's a very frustrating pitcher to watch. Um, had, has had and demonstrated an, an inability to start strong in his games. Almost always has to weather a very tough first inning. Um, but I, I have to say I've, I've liked Dane Dunning. I felt like that he had the ability to be a, a middle – to maybe fourth pitcher in a rotation, uh, certainly in a championship rotation. He's at the back end of it, but still a, a, a decent uh, starter, and he just went backwards this year. Here's the best thing you can say about Dane Dunnings this year is he pitched 150 innings, and that's a, that's a big step up for him going from having been a Tommy John guy to – 117 innings last year to 150. That That's all a step forward. But as you mentioned, 22 first inning runs, six most in baseball. His walk percentage is the second highest rate in baseball. Um, and it led to an ERA that right now, now he won't end up qualifying because for some reason, even though the number of innings that pitchers 
throw now has diminished. We still use 162 innings for the leading for the for the qualifiers. He'll fall just short, but he's got the sixth highest ERA in baseball. So it it, it I, by no measurable other than innings has it been a good season for Dane, and he's going to carry into next year that 26 game streak of winless starts on the road, which is closing in on an MLB record. So there's there's a lot more questions than answers about Dane. And I think in a championship rotation, yeah, he would be a contender for a number five spot. Or if you've got four really good guys, he goes in as your number five guy. And eventually maybe he gets supplanted by, you hope, a, a homegrown top-tier talent. But what... What has happened now is he certainly created questions about whether or not his his stuff is good enough. Obviously, there are health issues now that that aren't have not been answered and will not be answered until we get into his rehab. And you combine that with the fact that Glenn Otto hasn't grabbed a spot, that Cole Reagans hasn't done anything to really grab a spot. Um, that AJ Alexei went backwards, that Cole Wynn went backwards, and it and and it again is you have not developed any starters that you can count on for anywhere but the very back of a rotation. And that is the issue. Now, I will just say this, Kevin. We just talked about, I just mentioned Logan Gilbert and and and, uh, and George Kirby, right? The Mariners 2018 and 2019 first rounders. Well, the Rangers invested their first rounder last year in Jack Leiter and their first rounder this year in Kumar Rocker. And the hope is that those guys are are upper half of the rotation starters. Maybe they come quicker than Gilbert and, and, and Kirby. Maybe. But in all likelihood, what you're looking at is if you're looking at a good homegrown rotation, look at the Mariners, you know, look at the timeline for the Mariners. It's, it's three years down the road from when those guys are drafted. So my perspective has now become this. And, and we've talked about this that the Rangers need to invest in free agent pitching this winter. Uh, They need to invest every available dollar to the point of my new motto for this team might be spend irresponsibly because that's what they need to do on pitching if they have any hope of catching the Mariners and catching the Astros in 2023. And let me just say the caveat on all that is that Chris Young said 2023 is when he expects his team to start winning. Yeah, no question about that. They first first order. This is not even close. They got to resign Martin Perez, uh, and that that has to be their number one priority uh, in the offseason. Has to be their number one priority, other than signing a manager through the end of October. Get Martin Perez signed before he hits free agency. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And there's no question about that. Uh, you know what? I don't even the way managers work these days. I don't even care about managers anymore. Frankly, you know, I I, I think it, it they've become look how far managers have fallen in our, in our lifetime and in our careers in the order of importance. You know, it just, you, you look around baseball and it's like, who are these guys and where did they come from? They, uh, they, Kevin, they need a manager to bring this clubhouse from a bunch of disparate parts. Disparate, into a functioning, yeah. functioning group. I, it just, this weekend was another reminder to me that they have, they have some nice parts, right? They've got a guy who's going to drive in 100 runs in, in Adolis Garcia. They've got a guy who's going to score 100 runs in Marcus Simeon. 
They've got they're going to have a quartet of 25 home run hitters. They're going to have two 2020 guys. They've got some nice parts, but they do not mesh as a team. And so that's what I think a manager needs to do. But we were talking about pitching. And so let's go back to that. Okay. Right? You mentioned Martin Perez. That's a that's a no-brainer. You've got a guy who qualifies as a as a big league pitcher. You've got him right here. He's demonstrated that this is where he wants to be. Get that done. Beyond that, you need at least two more starters. And I could you could make a case for three. Yeah. Um, in my I, I did not put the Rangers down for Carlos Rodon or Jacob deGrom or Clayton Kershaw in my projected roster, only because, look, if you get one of those guys, great. You're going to be interested in all of them. If you get one of them, great. But let's not count on any of those guys. Yeah. I took uh, Jamison Tyone from, from the Woodlands, and I took Michael Walker from Texarkana so that we could have lots of Texas-grown guys here. Go out and make sure you get those two guys. They don't give up walks. Get those guys in the rotation, and then if you can finish it out with a Rodon or a DeGrom, or even if Kershaw decides he wants to play here, now all of a sudden you're talking about a legitimate rotation. Well, see, that's what they did, you know, last year when they signed Seager and Simeon, right? They 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 jumped out and did that, uh, and I and I think that's what they had to do again. I frankly think they had to jump out and probably overpay a little bit to get what they want because they cannot they cannot go into next season doing what they did this year with their pitching staff. You know, I, I, I thought the pitching was short. I thought the rotation was short. I thought the bullpen was short. And for them to think, oh, well, you know, we're going to get Jonathan Hernandez and Jose LeClerc back at some point. It's like, yeah, at the back half of the season. And then even then, they're still kind of a work in progress. They're, they're making improvement. And I would think that going into next year, both those guys should be really viable uh, pieces for the back part of the, of the bullpen. But to think that they were going to be able to be contributors this year was just foolishness. Here's what I would say to Ray Davis right now is if you don't add multiple starting pitchers to this rotation and take what it use what it do what it takes to get those guys that are high profile starters. You're you may you may go into it saying, well, if I do that, I'm gonna be wasting or overpaying by my budget by about, I don't know, $30, $40 million, okay? If you don't do that, you're still going to end up with a $150 to $160 million budget, and you're going to waste every one of those dollars. So that's your choice. Either go for it all or accept the fact that you're going to have a big bloated payroll for, for a minimal number of wins. And I want to tell you something that's a very valuable piece of advice. You probably never heard this before. Sometimes you got to spend money to make money. Uh, agreed. How about that? Agreed. Come here for all your financial advice. Uh, I'm available to talk about your uh, your retirement plan. Anything you want to do at any point, I'm I'm always available for any of that. I am uh, always willing to spend money, particularly if it's not mine. Yeah, um, exactly. I do a pretty good job of spending my own. As far as the making portion, I come up a little bit short. A little short. You're a little short there, Evan. All right, that's going to do it for our Rangers talk. Uh, we're going to move over now into colleges. Another interesting weekend of college football. I tell you what, you know, the great thing about college football, and I'll be the first to admit this, and I told someone this the other day, it's the same thing with the NCAA tournament, right? It was 64 teams. There are bound to be great stories out there, and that is what happens in college football. There are just so many teams available for our inspection and our inventory. 
And so, therefore, it is bound to be good, and it has not been a disappointment this season. The, I tell you, the NFL season hasn't been nearly as interesting as college football has been so far this year. The Big 12 has no exception to that either. Uh, we have the, the number one team in the Big 12, 4-0 Kansas Jayhawks. How about that? Uh, an unbelievable job by Lance Leipold there, uh, putting together this team. They, I, I, I had, Off the top of my head, I can't even remember the last time Kansas won four games in a season. Uh, so they are really uh, playing well. But the issue for the Big 12 at this point is that we're down to just a handful of undefeated teams. Evan, go over those uh, undefeated teams with us. Well, I mean, they, there's you're, look, the AP poll has still got the first 11 teams are still undefeated. And you've also got Ole Miss and Washington and Minnesota and Florida State all undefeated. Now, I mean, that's not – I don't think that's so much the issue right now, Kevin. It's this. The top team in the Big 12 in the rankings is Oklahoma State, and they're at number nine. And they sit, more importantly, behind USC. And I think what we have have seen in this iteration of the college football playoff, which certainly is going to go away very shortly, and so will this format for the – for the conferences, but you know, the big 12 and the PAC 12 are fighting for one spot. That's what they fight for. And so right now, you know, with the PAC 12, with, with USC ahead of Oklahoma state and Oklahoma already having a loss and Texas being a non-starter, you're looking at, you're, you're playing from behind with one, with only one team with a shot. So, so go over, uh, remind us all of the top five in college football right now. Top five, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, and then number five is Clemson, which you can never, you know, rule out. And they they had a nice win over an undefeated uh, – we've got an – we had an undefeated Wake Forest team. We had an undefeated Duke team. We had an undefeated Kansas team. And we've got number eight in the country, Kentucky. Um, it's like – it. it, it the basketball schools, right? The bas- it's a basketball. It's a basketball world. Um, yeah, this this is the issue for the Big Twelve now because look, uh, I, I give the coaches on the committee on the CFP committee credit for looking for talent. You know, when when they and I know how they 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 think and how they work you know, when they call these things. They're they're looking for quality depth on rosters. They're looking for NFL talent. That's what they're looking. They're they're not looking for a crafty little team that figures out how to win. It's like the Odessa Permian of college football. That's, that's not what they're looking for. Uh, and so what that means is, is that those are the teams that usually recruit the, the best. And in the Big 12, those usually teams like Oklahoma and Texas. Uh, and Oklahoma and Texas both already have losses. Um, Oklahoma got beat by, by K-State. And uh, uh, Texas has uh, got two losses now having lost to Alabama and now losing to Texas Tech in Lubbock. Um, our old pal uh, Emily Jones, a noted Tech alum, tweeted after that game, is Texas back? Uh, which which is really funny to me. Uh, Joe McGuire said after the game to uh, a sideline reporter when he was asked, uh, what does it mean to beat Texas? He said, it doesn't mean anything. It means we're 1-0 in the Big 12. And when he repeated that to his players in a, in a little post-game uh, speech that went viral, the players went crazy. Oh, yeah, they love to hear that. And it's like, yeah, except he's lying. 
it does mean something for them to beat Texas. They 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 live to beat Texas, just like all the rest of the schools in the state of Texas live to beat Texas. There's nothing wrong with that, um, except for the fact that then you have to be able to do it the next week and the week after that and the week after that. Just like when Texas almost beat Alabama, and then you know that was that was great, and they looked really good, and they and they, they gained themselves some national reputation because of that. But you got to keep going. You can't just say, "Oh, we almost beat Alabama." As someone pointed out to me, a former Tech regent said that the best line he heard at the at the Tech game was, "Well, Texas can always say they almost beat Alabama and they almost beat Texas Tech." <laughs> so that's a situation that these schools have gotten themselves into down here in Oklahoma. Uh, I have to say, I, I I was reserving my judgment of Brent Venables as a head coach. Uh, he was a really good assistant coach. Uh, and did a, a, a great job, you know, as an assistant coach at uh, at Clemson for Dabo Swinney as his defensive coordinator. But I'm just not sure that I'm buying into him as a head coach. I, I just don't know. Uh, and they and, uh, and I'm not sure if I'm buying into Dylan Gabriel either as a quarterback. You know, they've got they, – they, Caleb Williams was a real talent. Uh, I think he's exactly the kind of quarterback that you've got to have in college football. And he's out at USC now. And as you pointed out, uh, that uh, – that's what's happened out there now that Lincoln Riley is the coach at USC. He's made them into a legitimate contender. The Pac-12 had just been languishing now for years. He has put them in a position to be considered for the CFP. And I think that they would, the, the CFP would love to get uh, a Pac-12 team in after all the complaints the last few years about the fact that it, the, it looks so lopsided on one side of the country. But as it sits now, you know, the SEC is going to have probably two teams in there. I would imagine that Georgia and Alabama are both going to make it. I would say that Clemson has a great chance of making it. Uh, I would say that, obviously, either Michigan or Ohio, or Ohio State has a great chance of making it. Uh, and then that then there's USC. That means, uh, you know, how many? my math is always bad. That's at least five or six teams that we've got already. That's, yeah, that's, that's six get, teams. And, 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 look, here's the deal. It's it, – Barring some upsets, it's going to be almost impossible for Oklahoma State, which it, at this point is your kind of your your hallmark of the conference, right? Uh, going in, they're your highest ranked team. Their wins are Central Michigan, which they which they was a shootout to start the season. They beat Arizona State in in Stillwater, um, which in part, led to the firing of Herm Edwards. Yeah. And then they beat Arkansas Pine Bluff, which, you know, is not, doesn't even count for the CFP. Um, so this week they play Baylor in Waco. And Baylor's the second-ranked team in – the second-highest-ranked team in the Big 12. And so we could be sitting here if Baylor wins next week with Baylor at the top of the, pe- of the pecking order and the Big 12 completely and totally out of the picture. That certainly could happen. Uh, I I tell you what, that, and it's a of course a uh, a redo of the uh, Big Twelve title game, which was a whale of a game last year. Um, I, I love what Dave Aranda is doing at Baylor. Uh, I don't know if they've got quite enough to push themselves over the hump this year. We'll see. Uh, but uh, those are very interesting games. And speaking of which, I was at a game that was, I can't say that it was very interesting on Saturday, and that was the uh, Arkansas A and M game. Uh, I tell you, uh, I've got Arkansas people in my family, you know, uh, I married one and, uh, and then both of my daughters were on the Palm squad there. Uh, I'm able to, 
to stand at a distance and observe these things. Uh, uh, and, and they, for the most part, they are too. Uh, but a lot of bad things have happened to Arkansas over the years in this series. It's been played out at Jerry world. That's going to die here in a couple of years. The contract runs out in 2024. Uh, A&M is not interested in renewing that. Uh, and I think it's certainly understandable. There were, I think 63,000 people at that game Saturday. They drew 105,000 people at Kyle Field for Miami. Uh, they can make a lot more money for those games at Kyle Field uh, than they would if they're up here in Arlington. Um, they, of course, Arkansas likes to play them there, mainly because Jerry Jones likes for them to play there, and so that's what they do. Um, but, you know, if, if uh, K.J. Jefferson doesn't try for – for whatever reason, stick the football out uh, and try to jump over the line of scrimmage from the three, or I guess he was actually taken off from the four. Uh, I don't know what he was thinking. Stuck the football out, got it knocked out of his hands, and then uh, A&M returned it 98 yards for a touchdown. Arkansas was about to go up 21-7 to in that game. They end up 14-13 and at that point, and then they lose uh, by, by two. So that was uh, uh, another game where A&M has demonstrated they have a they have a Pretty good defense. They play good defense there. Uh, uh, Shane is a really good running back, very nifty. Uh, he's going. He's always a danger of breaking one. Uh, but Max Johnson is not really the answer there at quarterback. Uh, neither was uh, Haynes King. He's better than Haynes King. I give him that. Uh, he, he shows some presence, and he can get loose. But they're going to have to score some points at some point, uh, and they're going to have to score some points in Starkville this week against Ole Miss. I mean, I'm sorry, against Mississippi State, uh, because they're going to put up some points. And uh, this is going to be a tough row for the Aggies. And this was a year that they were kind of counting on to be a presence in the SEC West. I don't see that happening at this point. Uh, that's, that's going to be difficult too. So teams from Texas are not looking great at this point, as I guess is my uh, summation of all of this. Uh, I think that Baylor still has the opportunity to, to show something. And of course, TCU is undefeated, uh, but that was a very close game in SMU. The big story from, uh, from the old iron skillet was people couldn't get into the game. They, uh, they were, they were, uh, people were being carried out of the game. It's hot. There was no refreshments. They weren't ready for it. All this time they've been waiting for a sellout, and they have a sellout, and they're not ready for it. Hang on here. Um, so the let, let me get this straight. So people actually finally got people to come in from the boulevard. Yeah. And then they couldn't feed the people that came in from the boulevard. No, couldn't feed them, couldn't water them down. The, yes, the, the AD had to apologize. He sent out a Twitter, uh, on Twitter, and apologized. And then the TCU AD, Donati, tweeted uh, yesterday, hey, we've got a big game here at home this week, and we're going to be ready for it. We're going to be ready for everybody who comes, so the thousands of people are going to be coming. So now we got the AD basically taking kind of an oblique shot at the SMU AD, Rick Hart. Things have um... – I just also want to go back. So the the season started basically with a big giant blister on the field at Ford Field at Ford Stadium, right? Yeah. And now they couldn't have it. I mean, I, I would expect that those people that came in off the boulevard, the food in the stadium is probably a step down. Why were they even trying to get food there? Well, someone actually explained this to me this way. Paul Rogers, you know Paul, uh, who is an SMU professor and a baseball historian, and I I'd saw like, him. I'd like to take this this moment right here to say Paul Rogers 
the best law professor at SMU. There you go. We I love Paul Rogers. Interest in that at yeah. all? But he, as he pointed out, he said, you know, it's just it was just really hot. There's no shade in the stadium, and so people kind of waited a long time to get to get into the game. You know, to go over and try to get in. They were trying to get the people to come in early, so that's what it made it. That's why there were long lines trying to get in. It's like, yeah, yeah, Paul, thank you for trying to defend your school and all of this, but it was not good. That's not a good look. You know, you, you finally got a full house. And as someone pointed out to me who was actually there, I was working my way back from Alabama and did not get to see it. Uh, but it was not full. You know, I, I don't know if it's because people couldn't get in or what the situation was, but there were not 35,000 people sitting in seats at that game. And maybe it's just because they couldn't get in. I don't know. But that was a mess. Not not a good situation for uh, SMU football. Uh, and, 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 uh, and so TCU wins the Sunny Bowl. Uh, that was uh, the return of the prodigal Sonny, and it did not go well uh, for SMU. So it looks like uh, that uh, this is certainly the way that, that Sonny wanted it to, to take off at TCU, and he's off to a good start there. He's 3-0. Do you think Sonny had anything? Maybe Sonny had something to do with logistical supply line, supply chain issues at, at Ford Field. Maybe that was part of his, uh, his strategy. You, are you saying he sabotaged that? Yes. Wow. Wow. Let's investigate that. I'm going to get Joe Hoyt on top of that. Uh, I'm going to have Joe Hoyt call Ted Ganji, uh, who was practically blown six or eight gaskets uh, from that game, a noted SMU alum as well. A lot of people know. know I, I have not talked to step to stepson Nick about whether he ever went in from the boulevard to the actual game. But as you know, Stepson Nick is a uh, he is an Arkansas grad and he is a graduate student at SMU. So his loyalties were somewhat divided. I believe he wanted to watch the Arkansas. I don't know if he went to Arkansas A and M on Saturday, but I know he wanted to watch that game. And I haven't talked to him because he also has these like genetic things from his mother that pull him towards the University of Florida. And I don't know if you watched any of that game on Saturday, Kevin. But that was a real uh, clown show. Yeah. Yeah, they kind of been all over the map there. Old, old Billy Napier's kind of uh, had a, a little chaotic uh, um, introduction to uh, Florida football. We'll, we'll see where he goes from here. Well, it's I, a, I, it's I fun to watch. To make this week and find out, and we'll get a report on whether he tried to buy any concessions at uh, Ford, State, Ford Field. Yeah, Ford Stadium. All right, that's going to do it for our podcast this week. We thank you for listening in. Uh, next week, uh, uh, David will be back with us, and we'll be able to talk about the the Cowboys a little more in depth. Uh, and we'll see what happens in some of these other games and the Cowboys when they play Washington this week. Uh, and and uh, as, as someone I heard on the radio say the other day, they they've changed their name again from Commander to Commandos. What do you think about that? The Commandos, like going Commando. Yeah. Maybe? I- no, I, yeah. I don't have. Uh, how, let me suggest this. How about they re, they change it to Commodores because they have a lot in common with Vanderbilt football. <laughs> yeah, I think they do too. No question about it. All right, that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye. <laughs>